What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. David, today we're going to talk about low interest rates. A lot of people like to say it's new, we're in an inverted yield environment, but the reality is that we've been in a declining interest rate environment since roughly 1980 or so. That is a long time. And what that means is that there's a lot of implications of that. It means that every successive generation has seen uh, declining interest rates. I mean, millennials, that's all they know is that interest rates go down. We're pretty much down as far as we can go right now. Uh, I disagree. You disagree? Well, I know that's true, actually, <laughs> if you look across the world. Right. I think I don't know that we've seen the end of it. I think that other developed countries, right, Germany issued a 30-year treasury with negative yields. It can always get worse, right? And I think that's a unique thing to consider as well, because things are bad now. What if they just keep going down? But that's okay. Now, thank you for making that topic even more depressing. <laughs> uh, now, is that negative yield on a German bond? That's a nominal yield. Right. So if there are, is any positive inflation, essentially, you're getting knocked for the inflation rate, plus you're getting a negative interest rate in nominal terms. That is pretty depressing, isn't it? That's very depressing. I mean, when you think about the implications of that, you're taking money out of your wallet, you're handing it to the future version of yourself, and you can buy less with it. You know you're gonna be able to buy less with it, and if there's any sort of inflation going on, it could be that you're gonna be buy buying a lot less. So that's the reward that you get for saving right now. Right, and, and the thing is too, you would actually have more money if you just kept it in your mattress, assuming you didn't lose it. And why wouldn't you just keep it in your mattress? Well, I mean, it's not necessarily a safe, right? There's, there's the, it's nice to have it kind of locked away with the, you know, the, the German treasury for the period, but yeah, I mean, I think that that really creates a situation where there's no incentive to save, right, if you're effectively losing money over a 30-year time horizon. Why does this matter so much when we're planning for the future? You know, because I, I think a lot of times when financial advisors model how much their clients need to save in order to meet a future goal, they're not using today's interest rate environment. They're using the historical average. What's the problem with doing that? Well, I mean, no one knows what's going to happen in the future, right? We'll, we'll, we can speculate here shortly about future interest rates. But I think that too often a lot of advisors just say, hey, let's use long-term averages as the basis of our expectations for returns. And that just isn't where we are today, right? I mean, the, the long-term average yield on 10-year governments is 5%. It's like 2% today, right? And that has a really big implication for pretty much, what, every investor out there? Now, you say that has a big implication. We've actually studied this in the past. How big of an implication? Because I think it's, you know, the difference between 5 and 2 doesn't sound like much. But when you actually map it out in terms of how much money or how much more money you need to save today in order to meet the same goal in the future, it's a lot. Huge. It's huge. Huge. Which is why this is so depressing. Right. I mean, I think that if you, if you just tweak your assumptions about, you know, I'm going to earn historical returns versus, you know, yields based upon today, you could have to have 50% more savings when you retire. And, you know, let's be honest, most people don't have enough today to retire. You increase that amount by 50%, it's just even worse. And I've heard it said that, you know, if you're realistic about the implications of not just a low interest rate environment, 
but a lower return environment for financial assets. Because if, if you look historically over the last 20 years, the amount of income that you can buy from a 10-year treasury and the amount of income that you can get from dividends on the S&P 500, it costs you twice as much money. You have to have twice as much money invested to provide the same income. And this is just on average over the last 20 years as the previous two 20-year period. So your money's just not working as hard for you, and it doesn't really matter what you're investing in right now. Well, I mean, my one comment would be on on the dividends. That's because you know now more than half of free cash flow is used for buybacks, right? So there's a, a structural change in how companies distribute earnings to shareholders. But regardless, I mean, the cost of buying an annuity, right, is effectively double what it was 30 years ago. And actually, I'm going to push back on that statistic a little bit, because if you if you map out historically the dividends as a percentage of 10-year trailing earnings for stocks, the dividends were actually not as high as a percentage of earnings as they are right now. You know, for every $100 that at a PE ratio of 30, for every $100 that you pay for a share of stock, you're getting about $3.30 of profit. And if that's the case, Dividends are, are S&P is paying out about $2 in dividends. That's, that means only $1.30 is being reinvested in the company. That ratio of reinvestment as a proportion of dividends was actually higher historically than it is now. So dividends may seem low right now, but they were, they're actually higher as a per percentage of the amount of profit that a company makes versus what it was historically. So companies are disgorging a lot of the cash that they're making. We're just paying a lot of money for the companies. Right, and I think you know a lot of retirees they love dividends. They like the idea of not selling down their assets. But I mean, if, if you want yield, where can you get it, right? All of a sudden, bonds are yielding, you know, two or three percent. You can't get it from dividends. I think that we're going to see more investors and more advisors possibly kind of invest in more esoteric assets to kind of quench that yield thirst that is so common among investors. I see that a lot right now. I see a lot of people getting very creative about trying to find ways to get greater yield from their investments. And this is something that I think a lot of financial economists have tried to push back against, that we're, we're not really so much concerned about yield. We're concerned about the return that you're getting on your overall portfolio. Totally sure. And this whole idea that dividends are yield is, I think, you know, in financial economics, that idea was cast off almost 50 years ago. But it's still rears its ugly head when we're talking about strategies for dealing with a low return environment, that you can actually get a yield from your stocks that's higher than what we're getting on treasuries today. But, the, but I think that the yield thing is just, it's just behavioral, right? I mean, in theory, it shouldn't matter if your returns come from price return or income return, but I think that advisors care and, and clients care. So if you have, you know, I don't want to use the word irrational, but an irrational investor or client that wants to get yield, without liquidating principal, where do you get it? Well, you can't. I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> and I, I, but I think that leads people to make a lot of bad portfolio choices, you know, specifically overweighting high yield bond categories. Right. And by the way, you know, if we look at the last time period where interest rates rose gradually, in the United States, that was 1960 to 1980, how well did high yield bonds do in a rising interest rate environment? So either a flat or a rising interest rate environment, is that where you wanna have your money? No. So we actually know that high yield stocks or longer duration stocks underperformed 
cash over yeah. the course of a 20-year time period. So one of the fears is that you're, by trying to reach for extra return, by taking risks either, either through term risk or through credit quality, that you're going to end up reducing the quality of your portfolio. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I, I pretty much, I don't want to use the word hate, but really just like high-yield bonds as an asset class because they have equity-like characteristics when markets fall and bond-like characteristics when they do well, and so there really isn't much of a place for them in a portfolio. I would much rather see folks invest in like higher-quality treasuries and stocks than in high-yield bonds, but that's just a... Well, we just, Personal preference. we just taught a class, a master's class in investments, and one of their assignments was to look at the historical average return and standard deviation of intermediate term corporates and long term corporates. And I was shocked, actually, every time we do that, I'm always shocked by how inefficient historically long term bonds have been in terms of their Sharpe ratio, because intermediate term bonds have a significantly higher historical return. Longer term bonds, not that much higher, but boy, their standard deviation is a lot higher. Well, and, you know, I think in the past, maybe there's been incentives to kind of, you know, reach for duration, you know, maybe move from 10 years to 30 years. But, I mean, today the yield curve is pretty much flat, right? So I, I, I'm curious, you know, what would motivate an investor to say, I'm going to, you know, try to get an extra 20, 30 basis points moving from the 10 year to 30 year when the risks are just so much larger if interest rates do tick back up again. I mean, the only potential upside is if interest rates continue to go down. And that's an interesting upside, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> if things get more depressing, that's my asset class. But it's been the right asset class, by the way. And I should mention that. We don't like super long duration bonds. But actually, if you look over the last 20 years, if you would have invested at the very beginning of 1998 in long-term bonds, in a long-term corporate bond mutual fund versus investing in the S&P 500, including dividends, yeah. you would have ended up at almost exactly the same place after the longest bull run in the history of the United States in 2018. Right. And, and I think that's like hindsight versus foresight. So long-term bonds could still be the best thing going, but how low would they have to get for that to actually make sense, right? You'd have to move to negative yield territory, right, for them to keep moving and outperforming stocks in the near future. Absolutely. So right. that's why you shouldn't always look at past returns when you're predicting the risk of an asset class. Well, I mean, in, in past returns, that is a pretty significant impact on, you know, financial plans. I know, I know lots of advisors use historical returns when they do financial plans. I know we talked about this earlier, but I think that's a huge, you know, point that needs to be readdressed because you could, again, significantly, you know, underestimate what someone needs to save for retirement. And, you know, I, I worry that people often just say, hey, I'm not going to worry about the future. Let's just focus on the past. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP. So it is depressing to have to plan for a future in which interest rates are lower or rates of return on a portfolio are lower. We've been saying this for, for a few years now. That's probably going to be reality. I mean, I think to me the biggest question is, is, is how long this lasts, right? So most companies that do return expectations or capital market assumptions do them for, say, 10 years into the future, right? No one really knows where yields will be 30 or 40 years from now, but what if we're still at two-ish percent in 20 or 30 years, right? How bad are things going to be for most investors, most pension funds, everyone? Bad. Bad, yeah. So what do you, what do, you do 
right? So I'm an investor, I'm an advisor, and yields are low, they could stay low. How do you adapt? How do you build portfolios? How, what do you do to help people accomplish their goals? Well, I mean, really, there, there's only two ways to get yourself out of this. I mean, there's a third way that you can take a bunch of risk and hope that everything works out. Like you can invest in high dividend stocks and high yield bonds and take a bunch of risk in your portfolio. Or Bitcoin. Or Bitcoin. I mean, that's <laughs> one strategy. Or you could be realistic and tell people they're probably going to have to work longer and they're going to have to save more. Who wants to hear that story that they're going to have to? Because everybody wants to retire when they're 35 now. That, that's Fire. a little late, actually, yeah. 35. But, you know, in, and, and especially in today's environment, that's, that's not very, well, that would be very expensive, actually. Right. You know, and, and to me, you know, I looked at the idea of retiring later. And I mean, to call a spade a spade, people are retiring later, but for the most part, they retire early, right? I mean, it, it makes a financial plan look pretty awesome when you delay retirement three years. But the question is, is can you actually do that? Right, you know, when you think about your future self at 65, are you going to be able to work? Are you going to be able to find a job? I think that, you know, for better or for worse, the only kind of surefire way to get around low returns is saving more, and people just hate to save more, right? And I, I, I think that, that unless we as a country start, you know, saving more for retirement or just for everything, we're going to have some pretty rude awakenings 10, 15, 20 years in the future. Where does it mean for us longer term? Right, so again, you know, are, are we in a new normal where rates are low forever or do they kind of rebound back? Um, you know, in all of, in all of our projections and all of our plans, we assume that, that rates, you know, creep back to that long-term average after 15 or 20 years. I've run scenarios where you assume that yields stay low forever. And wow, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a whole new ball game. And, you know, I wonder if that is the future. I mean, do you think we're stuck in an environment where yields are going to stay this low? Well, I mean, if you think about Bonds Answer the question. No, no, yes, as no. what they are, that, which is trading money across time periods. Can you imagine a scenario in the near future where people are going to want to spend more now than in the future? And we have a lot of countries like China that are becoming increasingly wealthy, and they have a, a high taste for saving. Decreasing significantly, though. Right. Oh, you think so? I, I know so. I know yeah. so. so. So there's an increasing use of debt among, for example, uh, millennial Chinese. That, that savings perspective of the older generation is not being passed down to their more consumption-minded children. Oh, that's interesting. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more. You didn't answer my question, though. So do you think... We're going to see yields like this for a while, or are they going to pop back up to some kind of higher value closer to long-term average? I don't think they're going to pop back up. I, and I think there's two ways of talking about this. One is real yields. One is nominal yields. I think real yields could get negative in the future. Because we've got low to no inflation? And I think one of the fears is what happens when people stop liking U.S. dollars as much as they like them right now. And if that's the case, then we could actually see inflation in the United States and nominal interest rates going up. But inflation would go up. That would mean we would see negative real interest. That's one of the things that I worry about because oh, so that could see, completely you, destroy you think high inflation rates. You think you think four percent inflation? I well, it could happen. And then it, again, you know, we're deeply in debt. There have been many historical periods where countries have done what we're doing right now, and it has not ended well. And the scenario being, you might actually see nominal interest rates, but that could be not a very good thing. 
So, you know, I mean, I've heard the argument like, yes, the U.S. has a pretty aggressive amount of debt, but we've got better demographics and a lower, like, debt to GDP than other countries like Japan. That's true. But so, Japan is kind of an outlier. Right. But, I mean, it could get worse, but if it gets worse for us, won't it get worse for everyone else, too? I don't know. I mean, if, if other countries, like if the euro becomes the safe currency of the world, it's possible that they could be in a period of very low nominal inflation, whereas we would be in a period of higher nominal inflation. Boy, it just is not getting more fun, is it? Like, where, where, is, <laughs> where is the good news here? Is there any good news? Um, we're not paying as much taxes on our yield and right. our non-qualified accounts because we're not earning much. That's, a good, that's good news. Actually, I, it, taxes are actually a great thing. If you're paying taxes, it means you're making money, right? Well, kind of. You know, there is this question of if you do have high nominal rates and you have high inflation at the same time, then you're paying taxes, but you're not actually getting any benefit in terms of spending more. You can actually end up spending less in real terms in a high nominal, high inflation environment. Sounds like a good paper to write sometime. It sounds great. Yes. So this has been, you know, pretty depressing um, for the most part. What is good news? Well, there is a bit of good news if you're a borrower. So if you're able to borrow at today's low mortgage rates, then actually you can buy a lot more stuff today. I mean, this whole idea of consuming more in the future or now, if it doesn't cost you much in the future and you can invest more today, for example, you can buy a house or you can invest in your education for young people it's actually good news compared to where we were, especially compared to like the early 1980s, how much it cost you in borrowing costs to buy a house. It's, it's way cheaper. You can get a much better lifestyle today as a borrower. That sounds good to me. That sounds good to you. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP.